Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Now, as you're turning there, you should ponder and think about a word with me for a moment. Confession. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word? Confession. Maybe the first thing that comes to mind is a a crime story, a book or a film, where at the tail end, the climax of the story, the lead perpetrator says, it was me, I confess. Or maybe you think about it in more common day-to-day or week-by-week terms. Even maybe mildly sarcastically, we say things like, I have a confession to make. I had fast food for lunch. Or I have a confession to make. Today, after parking my car, I was trying to get out gently, but I accidentally slammed the car door against the, the neighboring car, left a small mark. Not too big, just a small mark, I must confess. I have a confession to make. Or maybe you think of a box in a Roman Catholic church, a box that you step inside, you confess all of your sins to a priest, and then you're absolved by that priest. Maybe you think of confession in terms of the Roman Catholic church and that box in that way. Confession. What comes to mind when you hear that word? Does it strike fear within you or does it give you a certain amount of peace and comfort? See, how we think about and understand confession and repentance in this life is important. It is critical because if we have a low view of confession and repentance, we have a low view of these things, if we have a low view of our sin, then we will inevitably have a low view of the gospel. All of these things are connected. To have a low view of confession and repentance is to have a low view of sin. To have a low view of sin is to have a low view of the gospel. So how we think about sin and repentance matters a lot. And it is my hope this morning It's my prayer this morning that we would see our sin more clearly. That we would see our need for biblical repentance more clearly. And that we would see the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus more clearly from our psalm this morning. So please turn with me, if you haven't already, to Psalm chapter 51. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one under a chair near you. You'll, you can find Psalm 51 on page 443. We're going to be living in this psalm this morning, living in these 19 verses, so you'll be helped to keep your Bible open uh, as we work through them today. Let's read Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices. In burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is God's word to the church. Thanks be to God. Let's say that together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll work through this psalm together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask that you would give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, O Lord. And I ask now that you would send your spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to make our hearts soft and porous to your word that it may dwell richly in us, cause us to behold the wretchedness of our sin and the King in all of his beauty, Christ Jesus, this morning in comparison. It's in the name of Christ that we pray, amen. Well, to guide our time this morning, here's the big idea of Psalm 51. Here it is. It's simple short. God's mercy is greater than our sin. God's mercy is greater than our sin. And in this psalm, David makes this point as he runs to God with an interweaving prayer of repentance and renewal. That's really our outline this morning. Paul, or <laughs> David runs in this psalm to God with a prayer of repentance and for renewal. So let's look at point one, repentance this morning. Uh, imagine the headline, scandal. We begin to read the story, we find that this scandal involves a man named David, a woman named Bathsheba, one of David's friends, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, 
and then a confronter named Nathan. And as the story continues, and this is a story recorded in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we heard it preached by Pastor Jeff last week. If you haven't listened, go back and listen to that sermon. It's going to help you better understand this sermon this morning. As we continue to to hear the story, to read the story, we learn that David is a man of virtue and valor. He's a king, and he has lied, and he has been deceitful. He has committed something akin to war crimes in not going with his people to war. He's committed adultery with a married woman, Bathsheba. Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And then we read that David murders Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, his friend, to cover up the pregnancy, to cover up his part in it. And then David takes Bathsheba as his wife. This story leaves us speechless. This story is tragic. This story is scandalous. It should make us a little queasy on the inside. But then we keep reading. We find out that months and months later, after things seem to be covered up, out of sight, out of mind, David is confronted by Nathan. Nathan tells David, this adulterous murderer, a story, a story about two men, a rich man and a poor man. And how this rich man has taken, he's stolen from the poor man, took everything that he had. And David responds to this story by this confronter, Nathan, with anger. He demands that this wrong be made right fourfold and that this thief should be killed. There's a moment of silence and Nathan looks at David and he says, you are that man. David breaks. He, he breaks over what he's done. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And he goes on and he confesses. He repents. He pleads for mercy. And it's in his confession recorded here in the words, in the verses of Psalm 51, our psalm this morning. It's in this confession that we see the scandalous nature of sin. But we see something that's far more scandalous. And it is the forgiveness and mercy of God. Our psalm David's prayer of repentance begins with these words, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. This verse tells us less about David and more about who God is. That God is merciful that he is steadfast, that he is unfailing in his love, and that he is abundant in his mercy. And where is David getting this language? How does David know this about God? 
Well, he knows his, his Bible. He knows the Pentateuch. He knows the first five books of the Bible. He knows the words of Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, which, which read, The Lord, the Lord is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He also knows Deuteronomy 4, verse 31, which says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with you. And so David runs in his sobriety to his big merciful God with his big malevolent sin, knowing that God is bigger than his circumstances, that he's more merciful beyond his comprehension, and that he is capable, if he would, of blotting out, taking away, removing altogether his sin. And we should notice that in these first six verses, David uses three words to explain the depth and dimension of our sin. The first we see is transgression. Transgression is unholy trespassing. It is willfully stepping over the line. It is deliberate disobedience. It is seeing the road sign that says 30 miles an hour and saying, I'm going to go 33. It is seeing the cookies on the counter that you know you're not supposed to eat and you taking one anyway. It is knowing that you're not to love anything more than God and then deliberately loving something in this life more than God, intentionally. It is knowing that we're not to gossip or grumble, but when the opportunity presents itself, we gossip and grumble anyway. It is going to that website or watching that thing that you know that you shouldn't, but you do it anyway. That's transgression. The second word we see here in David's prayer of repentance is the word iniquity. Iniquity is moral impurity. It is an uncleanness that is internal to all of us and is displayed in external ways. This goes back to the very beginning of our lives. David recognizes that he was born in iniquity. Did you notice that? Verse 5, look there with me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David sees that from the very beginning, from the very moment of conception as his parents made love, that he inherited the wound of sin. David was conceived and born into depravity. We are all born and conceived into depravity. This does not mean that we are as bad as we can be all the time. But it does mean that we are impure from the inside out. And it's our iniquity that separates us from God, just as it separated our first parents, Adam and Eve, from God back in Genesis chapter 3. We are all born with our first parents' Adam and Eve's sin. Theologians call this original sin. Iniquity touches every part of our lives. It's like the sand. Iniquity is like the sand on us at the end of a day at the beach. You know what I'm talking about. It's like all over the place. It's in us. 
It's outside of us. It's in our, it's in our hair. It's in our mouths. It's everywhere. And, you, you, and we can brush it off. We can try to brush it off, but it must be washed off. But even then, there's still a residue of it. It's still on us. It's still in us. Our iniquity is an internal and external reality that we cannot escape. The third word that we see in these first six verses, Psalm 51, in this prayer of repentance is the word sin. You have likely heard the word sin defined as missing the mark, like, a, like an archer shooting an arrow toward a bullseye and it missing the mark. But sin is not just missing the mark. It's actually what Paul calls in Romans 3, falling short of the glory of God. It's, it's not even hitting the target. With these three words on the tip of David's tongue and tip of his pen, he is confessing fully that he is a sinner. And here's the thing, we are no different. We're no different. Whether we think we're good people or not, in thought and action, we have sinned against God's purity, against God's word, and against God's way. David sees this clearly, and he helps us see this clearly, and it all comes to a head in verse 4. Look there with me, where, where David cries out before God, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. See, David's sin, our sin, is always vertical before it is horizontal. Sin is, in the words of one pastor, cosmic treason against God. Now, David is not saying here that he has not sinned against the Lord's people or Bathsheba or Uriah. We should be clear on that. In fact, he has sinned against his own people. He's been chilling out at, in his palace while the rest of his people are at war, sinning against them. He's sinning against Bathsheba and lusting after her and calling her seducing her and sleeping with her, committing adultery with her. He sinned against Uriah, first by taking his wife, and the second by murdering him. David here is owning. We need to catch this. He is owning all of this. He's not pivoting or blame-shifting to someone else. He sees that his sin is his, that he has sinned, and he has sinned first and foremost against God. See, brothers and sisters, there is no such thing as a private sin. God sees, and it's against him, and inevitably is against others. All sin is social. Sin has consequences on others. And here is David in these words, owning his sin and the consequences of it. Here, David is like the prodigal son of Luke chapter 15. We don't have time to read that passage today, but I would encourage you to read it at some point later today or later this week. Where before returning to his father, the prodigal son comes to an end of himself, and as he's eating with the pigs, he cries out, I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. David's doing the same here. And so David throws himself upon the mercy of God. He throws himself 
upon him. As he is guilty and condemned, he throws himself upon the God of mercy, upon the God who it says in verse 4 is just and blameless in his judgment. Throws himself upon the God in verse 6 who delights in truth, not deceit, and teaches wisdom, not foolishness, and bears the fruit. That bears the fruit of repentance in our lives. In light of all of this, David, after seeing his sin clearly, after being confronted by God's word through God's man, the prophet Nathan, he stands not simply remorseful, not using emotion and words to manipulate a desired outcome that, like we can so often do. No, he confesses and stands repentant. He stands repentant. Let us learn from David in all of this. Let's learn from him. We should notice that when David is rebuked for his sin, he does not conceal, but he confesses. He doesn't conceal. He confesses his sin, and he repents. I'll never forget the day many years ago when I was confronted by my wife on a specific pattern of sin in my life. I wish I could say it was the first and last time. It hasn't been. But my sin that day was brought before me, laid out before me, was set out before me in all the ways that I had sinned against the Lord, but also sinned against her and others, my church family, friends, other family members. And it was in that moment that there was no rationalizing or manipulating or concealing it. No, it had been confronted. It had been exposed. I had to face the music, the consequences of that day. I grew up hearing from my dear mother, you can choose to do what you want to do in sin, but you cannot choose the consequences. Those words were reverberating in my mind. In the moment of confrontation and confession, those words penetrated me. It was a dark day. But more than anything, beloved, more than anything, it was a day where God's mercy was displayed in the midst of deep, deep pain. This is what is is often called a severe mercy. Have you heard that term? A severe mercy from the Lord. That mercy came in the shape of confrontation of my sin, confession and repentance of my sin, and then slow reconciliation due to my sin. Now, you might be sitting here right now and thinking, oh, oh, I wonder what Chris did. I want to know. I want to know what that guy did especially if he's going to stand up and preach to me. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I remember a day when I was hurt so badly by someone else's sin. But please, don't miss the opportunity to reflect. Don't miss this opportunity, God's grace in your life now, to reflect on your own life and sin. 
it's possible to see the sin in others so clearly and completely be blinded to the sin in us, isn't it? We can listen to a sermon like this, a message like this, and think, oh man, I am so glad that this person is hearing that right now. I'm so glad that my spouse or my child is hearing this right now. Ooh, they need to hear this. It's easy for us to do that. But no, no, this is, this is for you. These words are for you. So when was the last time that you were confronted and convicted of sin? How did you respond? How do you respond? Do you conceal or do you confess? Do you repent or are you recluse? See, all of us in this room have sin in our lives. We're all different. We've all come from different places even this week and sinned in a variety of different ways this week in different ways. But repentance will always look the same. Repentance will always look the same. And it looks like this. Psalm 51. It looks like this. And make no mistake, we will never seek God's mercy and repentance in this life or the next if we don't feel the weight of our sin and need for repentance and mercy in this life. So maybe you're here today and don't know how to repent, don't know how to really confess or know what what steps to take. What are my next steps? Or maybe you're thinking, "Ah, Chris, I, I don't think you know what I have done. Well, I have good news. Psalm 51 provides the words of repentance. These are the words of godly confession. God's word is profitable and sufficient. Yes, even for repentance, even for confession. So write these verses down somewhere where you could see them. Maybe even just Psalm 51 verse 1. Put that on your mirror. Put it in your car. Put it in your Bible. Put it somewhere in your home, near your sink. If you're doing dishes, you can read it and meditate on it. Repent regularly. We don't repent once in this life. We repent in an ongoing way. We're we're to repent regularly. The Christian life is full of ongoing repentance, like David models here. And seek accountability. Seek accountability. Seek a mature brother or sister in the church to intentionally walk with you and talk with you as you battle against a specific sin. One that will remind you of the truth of Psalm 51 and the truth of the gospel. You might be thinking to yourself, I don't even know how to build relationships like that. How, what in the world? How, this is like so foreign to me. How, how do I even do this? Sure, I have the words here. How do I do this? I would encourage you to join a care group. Join a men's study. Join a women's study. Get to know people and then be known by those same people so that you can talk and, and glory in, in the joys of life and also confess sin in the struggles of life. It takes the whole church to do this work. So take the step of getting to know people and being known by people. If your struggle is with lust or sexual sin, as we see here in David's life, uh, then consider maybe an internet filter. 
A covenant eyes is a great one. And then pray. Ask the Lord to give you self-control. Ask the Lord to have mercy upon you. Ask the Lord to help you make no provision for the flesh, no provision for sin, as we see in Romans chapter 13. Now, all of this may seem daunting, and that is okay. If you need help, even taking some of those initial steps and some guidance in those initial steps, those first steps, then uh, find a pastor here. I'll be standing in the back after the service. Seek out Pastor Jeff or one of the other pastors. We would love to walk with you and talk with you through this topic. Well, when David is confronted by his sin, on his sin, we read not only his words of confession here, not only his confession, but also his profession Again, that God is merciful. And so he requests that you notice the the rhythm, the repetition here in these words. He please have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me from my sins. He cries all of this because he recognizes that he's a sinner in need of mercy. But David has a problem, doesn't he? He's got a problem. We have a problem, don't we? It is one thing to uh, be confronted on sin. It is one thing to confess sin. It is quite another to have a solution for our sin. We need a solution for our sin. We need renewal. We need renewal, which is where David goes in the rest of this prayer. He These are still all words of confession, but he moves here into a prayer for renewal. Point two, renewal. David is repentant. He recognizes again that he has a problem, the problem of sin, the blood guilt that is still upon him. And this isn't just his problem. It's it's our problem. It's the problem of every human being. And that problem cannot be fixed by anyone or anything but God. And so David cries out, He cries out. Let me read these verses in 7 7 through 19 once again. He cries out, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem that you will, then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Beloved, our our sin doesn't need a band-aid. Our sin needs complete 
cleansing, complete cleansing. Our hearts, which is that biblical language for the the inner being, doesn't just need to be fixed because of sin. We, like David, need a complete makeover. We need a recreated heart, a new and right spirit. That's what we need. And we are fully incapable of bringing any of this about on our own. We are fully incapable of that. We need God. We are not independent. We are dependent upon God for this. We are dependent upon him to to take what is wrong and make it right. We need complete renewal, complete and utter restoration. But how? How can a man like David, how can people like us be truly and finally renewed? Well, it is here in these verses, in this prayer of repentance and renewal, where we see the means of renewal and the final result of renewal. This section is full of Old Testament language that is tied to the cleansing of the sacrificial system. Sacrifice was the Old Testament means of renewal between God and man. And all of this language that we see in these verses, washing out, blotting out, restoring, renewing, is all connected to the word cleansing in verse 2 in the section above. And all of this is connected back to Genesis and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And so here, David prays the words of a Levitical prayer. He says, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. The hyssop is significant. Hyssop is a plant with a long stem and a, a little bushy kind of thin head, top. Hyssop was used to cleanse lepers. It would be dipped in the blood of a sacrifice and then sprinkled, it's kind of gross, sprinkled upon the leper in order to cleanse him or her. We also see hyssop used at the Passover. Hyssop would be dipped into a basin of blood from a sacrificial lamb and then used to paint the doorposts of a God-fearing home so that death would pass over that home. You could read all about this in Exodus chapter 12, just as you could read all about the leper and cleansing in Leviticus chapter 14. In both cases, the hyssop dipped in the sacrificial blood was to be sprinkled or painted over sin in order for there to be cleansing, in order for there to be renewal. And as a king, as a man after God's own heart, David knew that sacrifice had to be made for his life of transgression, his life of iniquity and sin. But here's what he also knew. There is no specific sacrifice in all of the Old Testament that will remedy the blood guiltiness from adultery and murder. There's no specific sacrifice 
in all of the Old Covenant, in all of the Old Testament that would remedy that. This is why he says in verse 16, look there with me. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it to you. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. There is no sacrifice large enough or bloody enough that could purge him, wash him, cleanse him, restore him, deliver him, or renew him. None. Animal sacrifice was not going to cut it. It was not going to cut it. It wasn't going to bring about the renewal, the heart renewal that David needed. But there is one sacrifice that would. There is one sacrifice that would, and it is the heart of the matter. If we fast forward in our Bibles to John 1, we read in verse 29, the next day he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Brothers and sisters, there was no specific sacrifice under the old covenant that could cleanse David, that could cleanse us. But this lamb could and did. For later in Jesus' ministry, we see him, the lamb of God, slain on the cross. And it was on the cross where Jesus, the perfect and righteous son of David, the perfect and righteous son of God, was crucified as a perfect sacrifice and substitute in our place so that all who repent and believe in him might be saved. That's incredible, isn't it? At the cross, Christ drank the cup of God's wrath against sin, against iniquity, against transgression. For you and I, he drank it in our place. He drank it all the way down so that we wouldn't have to. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's amazing. That's incredible. His blood was poured out for our sake. And with every drip by drip by drip of the blood of Christ, our sins, for all who repented and believed, have repented and believed, have been washed one by one by one away. This is the good news of the gospel. And it's the blood spilt by him that is painted by the Holy Spirit on the doorposts of our hearts, making them new recreating us from the inside out. It is the blood of Christ that speaks a better word over us, beloved. If you have repented and believed in Christ today, then God, you need to rest assured in this, then God has definitely and infinitely and intimately made you clean. And though the presence of sin still lingers, which is why we need a psalm like Psalm 51. The presence of sin still lingers, which is why we need accountability and we need one, one another. Though the presence of sin still lingers, its power has ultimately been broken in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's good news for sinners like us. He paid our blood guiltiness debt 
a debt that we could not pay, and then three days later got up from the dead, was resurrected to seal that payment once and for all. And because all of all of this, because of this good news, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of his life and death and resurrection. And it is through him and the work of the Spirit that true change, true renewal can come to our lives from the inside out. See, this psalm points to and is fulfilled in Jesus. It is all about him. And all these verses and this whole prayer but specifically here in verses 7 through 19, have a direct line to him. I want us to see this or we'll completely miss the point of the psalm. We should see this. It is only because of Jesus, his death and resurrection, that we can be cleansed. And as it says in verse 7, Psalm 51 verse 7, be washed and made whiter than snow. It is only because of Jesus that we can, verse 8, hear joy and gladness even in the midst of pain. Even in the midst of pain. For even God in his severe mercy, through his severe mercy, often breaks us in order to remake us. Do you notice that? It's the bones that he broke. He breaks us in order to remake us in and through Christ. It is only because of Jesus, verse 9, 10, and 17, that we can have our heart of stone replaced with a new recreated clean heart of flesh, a heart that is broken and contrite. Contrite meaning godly remorse. It is only because of him that we can receive a new heart. Only because of him that we can have our spirits renewed. It is only because of Jesus, verse 11, that we can be in the presence of, of a holy God and not cast away. It's only because of Jesus, verse 12, that we can be restored to the joy of our salvation and upheld by his willing spirit time and time again, even as we fail. It is only because of Jesus, verse 13, that our failures, our sins, our crimes against God become a teaching tool in his hand by his hand in the life of others. It is only because of Jesus, verse 14, that we can be delivered and saved. It is only because of Jesus, verse 15, that we can open our lips and mouths to declare his praise. Beloved, the work of Jesus is the means used by the Spirit to give us new hearts and new life. See, David looked toward Jesus, toward that sacrifice once and for all that he made, but we get to live in light of it. We're not, look, we're not looking toward it. We live in light of it. All of this is the heart-renewing gospel, all that we've just heard in these last moments. This is all the heart-renewing gospel of Christ, and it is all of God's mercy. And in the cross of Christ, the main point of our psalm has been declared over every Christian in this room. Every Christian in this room that there is no sin so great 
And God's mercy cannot be displayed as greater because he is greater than our sin. And friend, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, if everything I've just said is just like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'd like to hear more about that. We would love nothing more than to talk to you about what repentance and belief looks like in Jesus, in that gospel that was just declared to you. So I'll be standing in the back after the service. I would love to talk with you about the work of Christ. Find another pastor here. They would love to talk with you about the work of Christ in the gospel. Uh, or find someone in your row. Ask someone in your row to explain the gospel again to you. If you have questions, take, them to the, take it to them. This psalm, this gospel, is for all of us, though. All of these words, all of, all of Psalm 51 is for us. <clears throat> but if you're a Christian here today, if you're a Christian, then you can rest in the truth that you have been washed and cleansed and declared forgiven. Uh, but we need to remember that there is no such thing as repentant-less Christianity. It's not something that we do once. It's something that we do over and over again. So we should be regularly confessing our sin with the words of this psalm into the gospel, into the cross of Christ, into the mercy of God. Well, in closing, it is striking where David lands the plane, where, where, where David lands this psalm. This is beautiful. He moves here in these last two verses from a personal prayer of repentance and renewal. And he, he expands his, his lens and he prays corporately for the people of God. Did you notice that shift there in the language? Let me read those verses once again. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David knows that when the people of God are living renewed lives together, that they are built up and they flourish. And their sacrifices are pleasing. They're a delight to God. But like the rest of this psalm, we need to recognize that the truth of these verses is fully realized in Christ and the church, all of us here today. For in and through Jesus, our merciful God has done good to the people of God, past and present. And by his spirit, he has made us, our very lives, catch this, living offerings, living sacrifices, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, that are holy and acceptable to God. Do you see that connection there? It is through the cross of Christ that we become, that the church becomes 
living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to God. And we can't miss this. Through the work of Jesus, the people of God are forgiven and made holy and acceptable. And it is through him that God delights in us. It is through Christ that we are ultimately called, as we read back at the beginning of the service, the pure in heart that will not be cast away because of our sin, but will one day see God face to face. This is all because of Jesus. And it is the most scandalous thing, it is the most scandalous thing in the world that a holy and merciful God would forgive merciless sinners like us. So I don't know how you thought or you have thought about confession in the past. I don't know how you thought about that in the past, before today. But let me encourage you. Confess boldly to our merciful God. Seek accountability and then keep repenting. Keep forgiving. Keep repenting and keep forgiving. Resting in the truth that God, in accordance with his steadfast love and abundant mercy, has cleansed us in the blood of Jesus and has made us new, is making us new, and will, on the last day, make us fully and completely new, all to the glory of God. We can rest in this, church. We can rest in this, and we can repent because of this, and we can sing. We can sing gladly what love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Amen? Amen. Well, let's take a moment of silence to confess our sin and repent before God. Let's do that now together. Hear now this assurance of pardon from Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for planning and accomplishing and applying salvation to sinners like us. We ask that you would wash us afresh in the blood of Jesus, cause us to rest and repent in and into his finished work. And we praise you and thank you for your mercy is greater than our sin. And it's in the name of Christ that we all pray, amen.